Mr. Producer is, is hard at work. What's that? I said, Mr. Producer is hard at work. That's right. The producer, yeah, baby. I heard that. Shit. I run the show, man. Hey, man, <laughs> you're executive producer. What does that make me? The best grip? <laughs> you're, 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 I heard you didn't even have that good a grip. <laughs> I, at best, you're the gal Friday. That's what it says on the men's room wall, anyway. I don't know. <laughs> Ouch. This is going to be a rough night because oh, laughing is making me hurt. Oh. I mean, Bill's got running. I've got one running, so... Yeah, but I, but for future purposes, I need to be able to get this thing to work. What happens if, you know, if you're, if you're not both here? Oh, that would never happen. <laughs> when does that ever happen? <laughs> I don't get it. Come on. I mean, we're okay recording tonight whether I can get this to start or not, but... Oh, and I listen to all the episodes. I know you do. <laughs> That's why we say what we say. But, but, you know, when we pick books that you want or that you want to do with us, that's totally calculated. <laughs> that's, yeah, I, I, I want you to say, oh, shit, I should have been there. I do, every time. You gonna think you're going to get so drunk, you're going to quit your job. I'm just doing back to the bins. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you want? No. That's but, horrible. But it's just going to happen one day. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with my Skype recorder? I'm blaming you. This it, it worked when I just had Bill here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Christmas, huh? It's Christmas time in the city. I was thinking of doing Arnold uh, 12 Days of Christmas. A 12 well, Days of what? 12 this Days isn't... of Freakmas. Whoa. I'm sorry, I'm looking at my other computer in a big red flashing Exclamation point just popped up saying your computer's at risk. Ah! Uh -oh. I guess I'll deal with that later. That's what happens when you scan the porn. Well, that is the porn computer, so. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> it's nice to, have, nice to have a dedicated porn computer. I was just going to say, that must be sweet. <laughs> porn stops. Yeah! It's got, it's got the 45-inch screen. <laughs> in sense around. <laughs> Well, I bought this new one, and I'm like, new no porn, new no porn. It's yeah, right. Pristine. Oh, I, 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 I've been keeping to You're it. You're so strict. Been keeping to it. What do you tell? How many? You tell Jen she can't watch the porn. She can't look at the porn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, don't. Yeah. How many minutes did that resolution last? I oh, wonder. because I could still use the other one, but just you know, that's oh, about all I, I can do with it. <laughs> Am I in the right one? I'm in the Gmail. Is that no, right? Get out of the Gmail. Get no, out! Get out of the Gmail! You're in the, <laughs> in the wrong place. All right, so I guess uh, who's bringing us in? Not me. Not me. Not me? <laughs> nice try. You're bringing it in, Mr. Producer. Mr. Producer Pants. Yeah, you can bring it in. Do all the, guys, do all the heavy lifting for you guys. Okay, I'm going to produce this. I'm going to grip. Hey, you don't like it, eh? You don't like it. I took the <laughs> from underneath you. Grip this. It's going to be It's gonna be one true freak and Paul. <laughs> oh. Back to the bin. 
Hey everybody and welcome to a special Christmas episode of Back to the Bins. Wish everybody a happy holiday and I am here sharing a cup of Christmas cheer with Dr. Bill Robinson. La 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 la. <laughs> oh, Arnold totally should do a Christmas album. <laughs> the first Noel, the angel did sing. <laughs> uh, and if you haven't guessed yet, that third voice in the room is everybody's friend, Scott H. Gardner. <laughs> Merry Christmas. How's Scott. it going? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I even have a Christmas cold to prove it. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, we were talking before we went on for anybody who's listening, and I was saying for the final, this isn't really the final episode of the year because there'll be one more after this before the year is over. But at Christmas time, I kind of think of it as the end of the year, and a lot of shows do their retrospective of the year and what comics came out, what the best comic is, who the best writer is, who the best artist is. But since we're doing books that are at least 10 years old, I really didn't think that made too much sense for us. So I kind of just made a little list here of things that have gone on the last year, just to go over quickly, just to say thank you to everybody and, and, uh, and reminisce just for a moment. And in the past year, we've had quite a few different guests when uh, Mr. Gardner couldn't be with us. And the first one on my list was Mike Bailey, and I don't think he counts as a guest, because even though he's no longer a regular with us, I think he will always be a back-to-the-binner and can't be considered a guest at all. But over the course of the year, we've also had Dave Atterbury, Scott Rifen, Chris Honeywell, Andy Leyland, Mike Wilkerson, Chris Tyler, Jim Dietz, Tom Harris, Sean Engel, Dario Gonzalez, David Pascarella, Jay David Weeder, and Scott 2.0, Scott McGregor. So that's a quite a list of luminaries there. And uh, I want to thank every one of them because I got to interact with each of them and I really enjoyed it every time. And it's been a lot of fun all year long to, to work with those guys. And uh, I hope to continue to have new and special guests on the weeks when, uh, when we can all three be together. Yeah. And unfortunately for you, Scott, that usually means you don't get to deal with all these guys. I was, you know, I was just thinking, uh, or, or, or as I like to call them, the the, the temporary replacements. So. I mean, the reality is I would rather that all three of us were here all the time and that we'd bring in an occasional guest for a fourth spot. Mm-hmm. But the reality is life gets in the way. Sometimes people have to do those things, you know, uh, work and uh, deal with those people. Uh, family and uh, you know sometimes you're not available and, and I understand that but I, 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 I like I always I say is uh, you know life gives you lemons you make lemonade so I always kind of take advantage of those moments oh is that what you're supposed to do life gives me lemons I just go what the hell am I supposed to do with these <laughs> so life gives me lemons I throw them at people <laughs> <laughs> shove them in her eye but what I, the hell I, lemons what <laughs> I always consider it a chance to, to, to invite people on who, you know, we, we'd like to talk to and don't generally get a chance to, or, you know, just that I'm, I'm interested in hearing what they have to say. And it, it's it's a lot of fun when we do get somebody in there. So, you know, as much as I enjoy having you there with us, when you're not able to, try to make the best of it, you know? Yeah, whatever, producer. <laughs> <laughs> right, so... At this point in the episode, we'll be asking Scott to leave and replacing it with one of the people on that list. 
Or oh. replace me with a sock monkey or something, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Scott's replacement! <laughs> Sounds suspiciously like Paul. <laughs> okay, just before we go too far on this thing. So, uh, wait, wait. So do you have, like, little meetings? Like, you, you have a Scott sock puppet, and you're like, well, Scott, what do you think we should do? Well, I think, Paul, you should run the show. <laughs> I just said you're the producer. <laughs> I say we let him go. <laughs> Call the BB Herman. <laughs> Baking Mr. Herman. Mr. Herman. Mr. Herman. <laughs> See, you can almost feel the Christmas in the air. <laughs> it's a peewee Christmas. Actually, I think there's a gas main open somewhere. <laughs> is it gas or is it like a laughing gas? <laughs> <laughs> so just a, just a, another point for the last year. You know, we, we had a couple of special episodes, and I just wanted to touch really quickly on that as well. Uh, we did a Lone Ranger episode. We did a Superman episode. We did a Thor episode. We did an Iron Man episode. We did a Wolverine episode. We had a special 100th episode. We've started up the the Avengers Spotlight, which I am enjoying very much. I think you guys are too. And to me, the two ties personally for the highlight of the year, uh, I don't know if everybody agrees, but the two ties for me are the Disney road shows and everyone's favorite, Bill's Cat. <laughs> the cat is a, the cat is a recurring theme. We get a lot of mail, and I get a lot of. Uh, hey, is the cat okay? Yes, the cat's fine. <laughs> well, ever since you crushed its head with a hammer, I did not crush that cat's head with a hammer. <laughs> Photographic. I, oh man, I saw the <laughs> I saw the pictures, and photos don't lie, dude. So. <laughs> Ask Chris Honeywell. Photos don't like. <laughs> yeah, so J. David Weeder was carrying me in a dress. Okay, yeah. I didn't see a forklift anywhere in that picture, so I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, Bill. It's okay. Did, did you notice on the posting I had a little bit of fun? I put a J. Paul Spataro and Dr. J. <laughs> Robinson. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I didn't see that. No, I didn't see that. That's funny. You know, on on the subject of of things that may be overdue for for us to to shout out or whatever, it, it just it occurs to me that, you know, you, you've really been doing a lot of work on this show, Paul. As far as you know, I mean, for one thing, y- you do a meticulous amount. Of, I mean, just this segment alone shows that you've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes with the show. You know, going back and pouring over last year's content and everything you know just for you know the special episodes and all the people that were on the show and you know that that level and that dedication and everything um i mean honestly it's it's long overdue for me to just you know to to just from the heart say stop it (laughs) because i thought you were getting too sappy there for a second i don't know where you're going (laughs) Because the rest of us do this on a freaking lark, man. You're making us all look bad. So, you know, be a slacker like the rest of us podcasters. I think just standing next to people, I make them all look good. (laughs) (laughs) But I got to say, this this show for me, 
it's a labor of love. I really do enjoy doing this. I enjoy editing it. I enjoy posting it. I enjoy listening to it to see if it came out well. And, and you know, nothing's better than the recording sessions. I always get a great laugh out of it and just enjoy myself. It's, it's, a, it's, it's the best form of escapism from real life. Mm-hmm. And, and oh absolutely and I, and I think that comes through in the shows I mean honestly you know when you listen to the show I, I think that that you know that comes through that I you know because people often ask me you know what what do you think you know I'm trying to think of how it's worded because I what I was gonna say is you know what is the secret of you know like like I have any great answers or anything you know I, I feel like in a lot of ways even though you know we've been around now over five years a lot of it's funny when people when people are looking to me and asking me like I'm some grand old man of podcasting or something. It's like, how the hell did that happen? Is it just because so many of the people that were around when we started aren't there anymore? I, I don't know how that happened, but I don't feel like we're, you know, any big deal or that we have any answers or anything. I think, honestly, if there is any big secret to it is that, you know, do it because you love it. Do it because you're having a good time hanging out with your buddies and shooting the shit because that's ultimately that was the whole origin of the show in the first place was, you know, getting a bunch of guys together that just enjoy each other's company and shooting the shit about whatever the subject is, whether it's comics or Star Wars or tits or whatever you're talking about. Just, you know, (laughs) I'm sorry, I heard tits. <laughs> exactly. I, did you say anything after that? Because that's all I can think of now. <laughs> Uh-oh. I have a vivid imagination of yours. Bill, can I borrow your porn computer? I'll ship. <laughs> I'll ship it right up to you. As soon as soon as I clean it up. But uh, you know, I mean, yeah, what you're saying is totally right. And and I mean, look at this. I, I you know, I met you guys online, and now you're two of my best friends. I mean, it, it's how does that happen? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know. The true highlight of my year with with this is having you know had a chance to meet you guys face to face and spend time with you. Definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. That was that was a blast. That was an absolute blast. I want to go back. Yeah. Oh, believe me, I want to go back. <laughs> I, every time uh, somebody posts pictures from Disney, you know, now I'm seeing the Scott Rifen putting pictures up. Dario was just there; he put pictures up. Uh, David yeah. David's going in two months, I think, or three months, and he's talking about it. Uh, Jay Foster. Uh, no, uh, David Pascarella. Oh, Pascarella, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And and just you know, it no, it, it just David. makes me want to be you know, I I keep thinking I want to be down there. I know Andy's going back next year, and and I'd, I'd love to be able to be back again. I know. I mean, that's the hard part for me now. Is is you know, with so many people, it's it's weird because it's like it's feast or famine. It's you know, it's it's hardly ever like spaced out to where it's like okay one person this month and another person you know a couple months it's like everybody comes at the same time so then i'm rushing around trying to try to meet everybody and i i know i keep missing people because uh well you know for example you know a, a good friend of mine uh kirk landry has been here i don't know how many times now and i keep missing him every day you know, I, I hope he still listens but because i feel really badly because he keeps coming because he comes and he runs marathons and stuff Oh wow! And every time he comes, it seems like you know either he's busy or I'm busy, or it just never works out. In the meantime, you know, there's been so many other people passing through, and I've been able to, you know, meet up with them, however you know long or however brief. But I miss Kirk like every time he comes through, so I just well, I feel bad. Like let's I say, be fair, he's though. He's still missing, and he's not like, oh, screw that guy, you know. Let's be fair. If he's running marathons, he's breaking the geek code. <laughs> I, I, you're supposed to be at least 20 pounds overweight to be, you know, yeah. on this stuff. 
Uh, it, it does seem like it's you know almost uh, an axiom, but no, it's it's nice to see somebody that is breaking the the stereotypical mold for us, you know. I just have this image in my this image burned in my mind of the three of us sitting along one bench on a on a tight ride. <laughs> it's, the, it's like what the hell are we doing? Uh, oh, that that would have been the haunted mansion. The Haunted Mansion. Yeah, I thought we were going to end up shutting the ride down because it didn't it keep stopping every yes, time the, the bar kept coming back out and those people were looking at us like, no, that wasn't us. Every was time it? we exhaled. <laughs> Guys, no, you don't fit, right? <laughs> we had to do it together. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I wish we had a picture of that. That was hysterical. I thank God we don't. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> have a hard time explaining that one off <laughs> so all right well i mean i i'd love we could sit here for hours and, and just do this but we got to move along and do an episode here and we got some email to cover mm-hmm. so let, why don't we jump right into that and uh who's taking the first one i guess i am <laughs> okay <laughs> our first ep- our first email is from kyle benning hello back to the bins crew Long-time listener, first-time writer. And, I, and by long-time, I mean I've, I know, I've listened to episodes 1 through 102 and 116 Disney Trip, 124 now, since the end of July to early August. Oh, he's a masochist. Wait, so he skipped 103 to 115? What? Yeah, I'm not <laughs> sure it sounds that way, but I, I, I don't think he's... I, I, I don't think his point is coming through, because I don't think he... There's, there's really no reason why you would do that, so <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not sure. But but obviously he listened to a lot. In fact, Kyle, somebody had mentioned something about one, some topic, and Kyle came right in and said, "Oh, they covered it on this episode." And right. I was, wow, that's an incredible memory. He was like, "Yeah, I just listened to it recently." Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I saw that. So, uh, yeah, that's that's impressive, I guess, or scary. Maybe Kyle took notes. <laughs> Tell us what books we did. Luckily, I have a job that allows me to listen to your fine podcast most hours of the day at work, and I love the show. This episode was great. It served as a nice Halloween tie-in episode, and it was great hearing Beta Scott join Paul and shoot the breeze about Man-Wolf and a truly awful Batman story. Scott was right. Everything does seem to happen in his little corner of Georgia. <laughs> I've never listened to Dinner for Geeks before, but I'm definitely going to have to start tuning in regularly and add that to my list of comic podcasts to listen to. Keep up the great work, your new loyal listener, Kyle Benning. Well, welcome to the welcome to the uh, group, Kyle. I think, you know, between you and, I don't know, three or four other people, that's our loyal listeners. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, Kyle. Now, I've seen Kyle posting uh, quite a little bit, and I, I believe he's been on the Facebook group, if I'm not mistaken. I've seen him on Facebook anyway. I don't know if it was in the, uh, the TTF group or not, but I have seen him posting quite a little bit. And uh, Yeah, dude, definitely listen to Dinner for Geeks. It's a fantastic show, and those guys are hysterical. They, they crack me up, and it's it's very similar to Back to the Bins in that feel of you are part of the conversation. You are with your friends hanging out and just talking geeky stuff. But the cool thing about their show is it can go anywhere. I mean, not that ours can't, but ours is arguably a comics-based show, whereas their show is really not based in anything other than four geeky friends hanging out and talking about whatever the hell subject comes up. So it's a little more broadly geek than ours is. But uh, yeah, great show. Great listen. And I'll throw out a little, uh, a little, 
I know, lost a word in my mind. <laughs> but a, a little plug for Scott. Uh, you, you know, I think it's commonly known that he works as a radio talk show host. It's mm-hmm. on WGIG in Georgia, which I was kind of lamenting the fact that I couldn't listen to it because I was curious to hear it. But if you go to their website, if you do a search for WGIG in, in Georgia, you can stream it live while he's on the air. So I've had a chance to listen to a little bit of his show, and it's uh, it's not it doesn't have the funny uh, topics that Dinner for Geeks does, but it's you know Scott's an intelligent guy, and it's it's, it's a good listen. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, and let's move it on. Our next email. Who's got it? I got it open already. I... I guess I got it. <laughs> How the hell do I go? Okay, I'm sorry. I was scrolled down too far. If you go screen. up, if you go up on the top, no, I, I got it. I got it. Okay, you you, you do this one, Bill. I'll get the next one. Okay, all this right. This has too many words and letters and stuff. <laughs> get things and stuff. <laughs> it's there's ideas. <laughs> Coherent thought makes my brain hurt. And this is subject: shameless obligatory coat riding Thor tying episode from Russell Bragg. Oh, coattail. <laughs> Oh, well, actually, it's cocktail. Out of the, whoops, missed an A there. Anyway, hi guys. It was nice to hear Scott Gardner and Doctor Bill back after a few episodes. Great episode, great episode all around. In my humble opinion, always love the preamble. And for me, I can never get enough of the Arnold impressions. <laughs> As for my personal Thor origin, I guess I don't really have one. I never followed him in the comics. I watched the 1966 Mighty Thor cartoon, and anytime he showed up with the Avengers on the 1966 Captain America cartoon, mm-hmm. I saw Thor in the Incredible Hulk Returns TV movie, as well as on the Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes cartoon. I hope you will still let me listen after what I have to say next. Uh oh. <laughs> I have the. You're yeah, Thor- going to stop him from listening. <laughs> I have the Thor movie on Blu-ray, but my wife and I have yet to watch it. We just can't seem to find the time. I'll understand if you ban me from the show. Well, I guess we'll let you keep listening. Anyway, I enjoyed the comics you guys summarized, and I placed the trade paperback of Alone Against the Celestials that Scott read the first story of on my Amazon wish list. Oh, good job. Make sure you went through the two true freak psych to place that there, Mr. Brad. <laughs> you know, if we do a good enough job of describing a book that people want to seek it out and read it, I think, you know, that that's a huge compliment. And yes. uh, and and you know, I can't take too much of a compliment because it's your book, Scott. But you should. <laughs> I, I, I do. I, I really do. It I, tells me I did a good job somewhere. Of course, I wonder if we'll ever see that email that comes in. It says, "Dear Scott, what the hell were you describing? This is nothing like the book purchased." <laughs> I know that worries me sometimes, you know, yeah. because, well, no, it really does because I mean, you know, I, I will stand by the things that I recommend certainly, but you know, one of the things that I, I go on and on and on about, well, you know, for five years now is the Marvel star Wars. And I will be the first to admit that's something of an acquired taste, depending on what era of that you're getting into. Mm. And we've got a lot of people that have written into the show saying, hey, thank you so much. You know, I, I placed my first order, you know, for like the first omnibus. And I'm I, there's always that <laughs> feeling of, all right, Ooh. I'm so glad. But then there's always that feeling of, geez, I hope they like it. You know, I hope they don't send me a bill in the mail or, you know, a picture of them 
holding the receipt with a look on their face like they want to murder me like you son of a bitch i hated this book you know but so far i i don't think we've ever gotten anything like that like hey i bought this because you suggested it and it was crap thanks you know <laughs> nothing like that so and he continues on i was curious about it and wanted to see how it turns out better stop here for now keep up the great work and thanks so much for entertaining me while i'm at work russell bragg clarksburg west virginia thank you russell all right, so I got the next one here. Let's see what we got. Okay, this one is titled Comic-Con Review. And this one is from Jordan B. in East Meadow. He says, great review of the Comic-Con, you guys. He says, I enjoyed listening on my iPod while driving down to Atlantic City over the weekend. I had a nice interaction with Arthur Sudam. That is how you pronounce that, right? Sudam? Sudam? In Arts Alley, he says, I like to see what the artist slash writers uh, look like, having never seen a picture of them before. He was a lot younger than I thought he would be. We chatted about his heavy metal work and his working for Penthouse Comics back in the day. A nice wow. guy. Is he the guy that does all those zombie covers? Uh, yeah, oh, is that him? So. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the guy. He was at Eternal Con too then. He says, I loved all the people dressed in costumes, taking many pictures uh, of them and with them. Also spent some time rummaging through the 50 cent bin and dollar bins to grab some good deals. Definitely was exhausting on my feet for seven hours, but well worth it. Again, that was from uh, Jordan B. in East Meadow. So I think that was in reference to your uh, New York Comic Con show, right, Paul? Yes. And Jordan, you know, Jordan is actually a friend of mine. Oh, okay. Uh, Jordan's daughter and my daughter are very close friends. And one time when he brought his daughter over here for a play date, uh, his daughter said, you know, Dad, you and Paul should have a play date. <laughs> and and he, she, she, brought, she said, take my dad down to the basement and show him your comics. And uh, we, we, we actually became fast friends at that point. And then a couple of weeks ago, I was picking up my daughter from their house and Jordan's wife, Jody, said yeah we went down to atlantic city and jordan made me listen to your show as we were driving <laughs> and uh, she actually had complimentary things to say about it and she has no interest in comics so uh but she she said you know you know that she enjoyed it during the ride so good enough for me i have no idea why but the idea of you in the basement for a play date i'm just thinking it's of a little like scary thought everyone it's one face. of those one of those <laughs> chairs you see like a, an adult having to sit on a chair in a kindergarten classroom with your knees way up you know like around your neck and there's a table in front of you with a bunch of dolls and you're having like a fake tea party with your little <laughs> pinky thing okay like that. you know that's better than i thought you would be uh, <laughs> imagining because I, I figured you were gonna think like silence of the lambs you know <laughs> oh, <laughs> it puts no. the oil on <laughs> i was picturing more along the lines of like a clockwork orange and you've got some poor guy strapped in a chair with his eyes pried open you're like and this is this comic book oh god please let me out of here <laughs> you know uh, they're all better than they could be <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? Let me let me read the next one too because this one's actually from the same fella. I remember seeing this one the other day. I couldn't remember what show the email came into. This is a follow-up from uh, from Jordan. He just says, "Here's an idea." He says, "Is it possible to post a scanned PDF of the two comic books you were reviewing each week?" He says it would be... he, he got very used to you not being here, Scott. <laughs> Says it would be a great to download the file and read along with you as the book, uh, as you review the book each week. 
I think that's a fantastic idea, except I don't want to go to jail is the only reason that we can't really uh, go with that idea. I mean, it, it, it is a great idea, but no, we, we really can't do that because that's, uh, I forget what the technical term is, something theft of services or something to that effect. But, yeah, you know, I, I would I, love I, to do it only because I know when I, when I listen to a show like this where an old book is being reviewed, I love to have that book in front of me or at least to have reviewed right. it before I listen to the show. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> we can't, unfortunately. See, I thought, you know, this, of course, is going back a long, long time. This isn't anything I entertained recently. But uh, if, if any of you guys listening have ever listened to a show and I highly recommend it although they their hiatuses of late have been ridiculous you know and this is coming from somebody who knows all about ridiculous hiatuses um, there's a show out there called Super Future Friends and they talk about uh, old comics uh, to do with the Legion of Superheroes if you've ever been to their website I thought their website was wonderfully designed because they did a lot of scans they would take just panels you know not like entire pages or anything but they would take scans from the issue of just particularly interesting or wacky or strange or funny things from the the comic and kind of point them out so that you had a visual reference for when you would actually watch the episode or excuse me listen to the episode you knew what it was that they were referring to i think that's brilliant but the time involved with that has got to be nuts i mean there's just no way we could do that on a weekly basis between all the shows that we put out and everything but i always thought that was a really cool idea that that they did if there was a quick and easy way to steal that idea i would do it in a heartbeat because i i i think that is an interesting idea of trying to do you know have some sort of visual tie-in but what you're specifically talking about posting up the actual issues now there's all kinds of legal shit with that that we don't even want to get into right now but that said um i would i would be willing to put money on the fact that most of the things that we talk about are readily available out there on the internet and that's all i'm gonna say so <laughs> Search yeah. as you will, you'll find it. I mean, we, we were talking earlier about you know the show being a labor of love and all, and but it does take uh, about as much about as much spare time as I can kick into it. I'm already doing mm-hmm. so, starting to cut panels and scan them and post them. Just sorry, guys, it ain't gonna happen. Yeah, that, that's a wicked amount of time. Because Chris and I thought about doing something like that way back when. With I don't know what show it was. Probably Star Wars Monthly Monday of, of because uh, there are podcasts out there. I've seen them where there's a picture embedded into the file, and as the subject of the show changes, the the picture in your, you know, the window of your iPad changes. Or not iPad, but iPod, rather. I've seen that. That's a great thing. I have no idea how the hell they do that. And we briefly entertained, hey, wouldn't that be cool to do that? But it came down to two things. For one, again, the time and the labor involved to do something like that would be insane. But then also, if you're looking at it on your your standard iPod screen and you're talking about like a full, even if it was just one comic panel, you probably couldn't see it well enough for it to be worth our time to do it, if you know what I mean, if that doesn't sound completely rude. It just wouldn't, because you wouldn't be able to make anything out anyway. So It would be really cool, though, because when, a lot of times when we're 
reviewing the book, we talk about specific panels and the artwork in it and everything. Right. And it would be great to have the people be able to look at it at the time. It's never going to happen, but it would right. be great. It would. The, the time to have done something like that would have been back in the days when we actually had like a really active forum and everything and maybe, you know, post up like the occasional like scanned page or something like that. But forums, unfortunately, seem to be pretty much dead. I mean, I'll put stuff up on our Facebook page from time to time. Yeah, actually, here's an idea. I wonder if uh, if Ben should have its own dedicated Facebook page. I've thought about hmm. that. I've thought about starting one up, and uh, I don't know. Maybe people should uh, tell us what they think. Yeah, write in or, or post something on Facebook. You know, in the uh, if you're if you guys are listening to this show, and you know, especially if you consider yourselves you know regular faithful listeners, and you're not part of the uh, the Facebook group, you know, definitely join the the Two True Freaks Facebook group and uh, and let us know. And if you think that this show should have its own dedicated group, then uh, maybe we'll look into making that happen. Because I mean, there's I don't think there's any much big deal to making that happen. So we can no. do that. I mean, right now we work as kind of a subset within the Two True Freaks page. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, to, to you know, if there was going to be enough activity, I'd, I'd be fine with moving it to its own. Cool. Would you be I the producer, look- Paul? I could be the webmaster. <laughs> the web, I am the webmaster. <laughs> uh, l- let me read this next one, Paul, because uh, I want okay. you to read the one after. So um, I don't even know which one the one oh. after is, but I don't know, and I don't know why. But okay. <laughs> uh, the subject line: Back to the bins. Another email extravaganza, and this is from Russell Bragg again. Looks like I'm getting the Bragg emails. Hello, fellows. Another great episode as usual. I didn't realize how many emails I had written to you. It felt like I was a guest host. I enjoy the email-centric episodes. It's nice to hear how others feel about the, sh- uh, about the program. Personally, I love it. As for the Back of the Bins format change, I would be all in for, uh, all in for it the way Scott thought it out. One guy has DC, one guy has Marvel, and the other, guys, and the other guy can do a favorite comic from any company. And 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 bleh, an alternate every episode. I like it. I'd always I was, I was just. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I was mm-hmm. thinking about that after we had the talk, and I started thinking we should expand the wild card nature of it to you can do any issue of any series with no limitations. Meaning, even if it's a book that came out a month ago, you could do it if you want. Oh, what do you think? Hmm. It's it's totally a wild card in your hands. You can do anything you want. I don't know. See, I, I, I now I'm going to sound like I'm waffling, but it, it occurred to me that the, the whole reason I was trying to do it was to kind of force the format kind of back to the way it used to be with it being random. And then I got to thinking, why am I trying to do that? You know, because it seem it seems to me it's obvious by, you know, the email that's pouring in and, and you know, the accolades we've gotten from folks that people like the show just fine the way it is. So maybe we shouldn't mess with it too much. I mean, you're bringing, you know, a, a personal favorite of yours to the show. I'm not sure how Bill Pitt chooses his books to be perfect as. I'm not sure. I just don't know how Bill chooses his books. We don't know how Bill does a lot of things. Generally yeah. speaking, I choose my books. I still choose them randomly. And um, I almost always go with something I've never read before. So maybe we should just leave it that way. I mean, to the listener, it's always going to be random anyway, whether we're cheating or whether, you know, however the hell we're doing it. They never know from week to week what we're doing. So to them, it's always random anyway. So 
and for yeah, what maybe it's worth. it's just one of those things that you just you know why why fix it if it ain't broke so for what it's worth i don't, I don't always pick a favorite sometimes i just pick something i haven't read and i've been interested in reading for a while because uh, I have picked some that I think are bad issues. It's not. It's not that that I, I love every book that I pick. I just, to me, I guess I was just trying to add a little bit of, um, a little bit of structure to it. Only in the sense, the one thing I would really like to love, uh, really like to incorporate, because this has been on my mind for a while. Is I don't. I just don't have personally, even with all the shows we have, I don't really have a venue to just occasionally pick out like a quote unquote classic and, and talk about it. You know what I mean? It, it, to me, this show has always been, you know, random unread back issues. Right. So that's where I was trying to inject that piece of, if we wanted to pull out something like, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of just some book off the top of my head, you know, like, I don't know, like Batman, the killing joke, for example, you know, just to do like, a you know a, a round table on it type of thing that 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 would be a venue where you could do something like that like a, a, a quote-unquote classic and and really dissect it but i don't know i mean something See, like that could also really bog the show down too well, that's, which is that's something i don't want to do so that's exactly what i was thinking because i had been thinking about this you know after we talked about it and like i started thinking oh with like one time i could pick say you know the spider-man 121 or something like that and then when I thought about it more, I started thinking, well, but if I picked an issue like that, I'd want to give you guys a real heads up that I'm doing that one because it's something that, you know, it's a historical issue and you might want to have, you know, a much more in-depth discussion about it. And I started thinking, well, if we're going to do issues like that, it's almost, or like you said, the killing joke. It's almost like we should have an episode focusing purely on that issue just because there's so much to say about it. Right. So I don't know if you, you know, I mean, it's... I. I I was taking classic very loosely and just being like, I was treating it more as the wild card. You could just pick any issue you want. There's no rules at all. Maybe uh, in maybe what we should do then is is continue to do what we've been doing, and just have the occasional special or you know the occasional okay, let's step out of our semi format and do this and we do that often enough to where we don't have to even schedule it as we're like every fourth week or something like that it's just as the you know as the mood strikes you you just suddenly go hey this week instead of doing our usual format let's cover book x or series x or whatever i i, I like that idea too because i mean i know we we have you know certain things on the horizon that we're wanting to do exactly that you know we're talking about apes month sometime next year and you know, yeah, I know. I'm really excited about that. So, I keep saying, yeah. you know, when we bust chops about you, you know, the times when you're not here, I keep saying, one week when you're not here, we're going to do Superman versus Muhammad Ali just to, just to make oh, you crazy. I would be so <laughs> pissed at you if you did that. I think that you know, on that subject, that's another thing I would like to do, is cover the giant size stuff. You know, the uh, the limited collector's edition stuff, all those versus books and everything. I would love to do a whole series on that. You know, Mike Bailey and I've been talking about that for years, so that might be a way to rope Mike back in at least, you know, for a little bit to cover some of that stuff. Because I think he's another one that would never forgive me if I ended up doing shows about it and you know didn't didn't try to rope him in too. So definitely, I mean, you know, we between the three of us, I know that we don't lack for ideas for shows to do. As a matter of fact, it, it comes down to there's not enough 
time to do all the stuff that we want to do. So that's why, you know, nobody has to worry about the show going away anytime soon because there's so many things that we want to get to eventually. Oh, email. That's right. I was in the middle of an email. <laughs> <laughs> Where was I? Ah, right there. I had always <laughs> I had always thought Scott missed shows because it was his turn to read an independent comic. Wow, it's funny how that just kind of flowed right there. Maybe. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I know Kevin Canuck. <laughs> Could just, be, Rabbit. Could be. I know his job, t- job takes up the bulk of his time, and I'm going to kill my t- kids because they keep printing things. <laughs> wow, Russell Bragg hates his kids. What? <laughs> <sighs> Sorry. Oh, that was you. Yeah, that was. I can't hear anything. So. No, well, because they keep printing things above my head. That's where the printer is. You mean like it's too complicated for you to understand? What? It's above your head. <laughs> no, the print. Whatever. It's a, it's a second grade primer. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, okay. Just kidding. I know his job takes up the bulk of his time. Yeah, that and going to Disney. I kid, because well, actually, that part was edited. That is his job. <laughs> I kid, because I care, and I kid, because I care. Um, I think it was I'm, universal yesterday. <laughs> I think I'm putting too much of myself in this email. I tend to draw mental pictures on most of the shows you guys do because I usually don't have the particular comic you happen to be talking about in my collection. I think you all do well describing characters and scenes when necessary, so don't worry about that. It really meant a lot to me that my iTunes review meant a lot to you. I meant every word. And I and I do remember you mentioning Nixon during the Giant Man synop, uh, the Giant Man things synopsis. Guess that's <laughs> all I have for now. Keep up the great work and thank you again for keeping me entertained at work. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia, and I think my kids are done printing things. You know, it just occurred to me that uh, I remember having a conversation about somebody or with somebody one time. Maybe it was Chris Honeywell. I can't remember about whether you have a name for your for your giant size man thing or not. And I never have had one for mine. But Nixon occurs to me as a really good name for it. Tricky Dick. <laughs> hey, that that was Nixon's nickname. I wonder if he called his little man thing or his giant man thing tricky dick. Little tricky dick. <laughs> Trickier dick. Tricky. <laughs> oh man. Uh, I, I just I just moved to the next email now I know why you wanted me to read it. Yes. And that's from all of our friend Andy Leyland. And it is titled, Bins at Disney. Dearest Paul, I say Paul because Paul now seems to be the one constant in the Bins pantheon, and a fine (laughs) job he's doing of keeping the show running. I think we could just end the email right there. We could end the episode right there. We're good. We're going to end the show right there. (laughs) We're going to do. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate that. Really enjoyed the last couple of Back to the Bins. Scott Rifen's idea that if you look at Bruce Wayne's phone bill, you'll find out that he kept calling the 900 number to kill Jason <laughs> was hysterical. <laughs> Gotta say, I hated the Disney shows. Not because they were bad. Oh no, they were fun. Entertaining and eminently listenable. But because you managed to conjure up the sights, sounds, and smell of being smells of being there so much 
that they just pissed me off I wasn't there. <laughs> well, you know what, Andy? We were kind of pissed off that you weren't there, too. We would have loved mm-hmm. to have had you there with mm-hmm. us. That would have just made something great even better. The Comic-Con show was also fun, a fun listen, although I can't believe the prices Stallone was charging for his autograph. I hope he engraved it on, on a gold ingot. <laughs> Take care and keep pumping out more Back to the Bins. Andrew Leyland. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate uh, all you, the Andy. complimentary things. And thank you, Andy. We love you, me. buddy. Yeah, I would, lo- I would love to have had you there when we were in Disney. I uh, I was at uh, Universal yesterday with my missus. We went to see the, uh, you know, basically to see how Universal does Christmas because we'd never been there at Christmas before. And uh, I, I tell you, I, I cannot be in uh, Islands of Adventure and not think of the Leylands every time I'm over there just because it, it was a blast when they were here. And uh, yeah, I miss those guys a lot. And uh, Andy, I'm sorry, dude. I owe you uh, email to your show. I am so overdue to send an email. I still listen. I'm still a faithful listener. I'm just, I I stink because I'm way behind on the show because I'm listening to so many different shows. But I do listen, and I always <laughs> intend to write in about something or other, and then uh, it just never happens. I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a, I'm you know I'm. Everything as a listener to your show that I that I always fuss at people that listen to our show not to be you know it's like be active be an active participant right into the show and then I don't do it myself so yes I'm I'm bad that way but uh, still putting out great stuff man well for what it's worth two true freaks has you know so many different shows and every one of them is really good Mm -hmm. and. It isn't the slightest insult to any of them to say, hey, Kids Comics is my favorite one of them. No, not at all. Not mm-hmm. at all. No, they, yeah. they do a fantastic show. They really do. I and mean, there, there's, a show, there's a perfect example right there. of you, know, you talk about being able to hear the passion for what they're doing in the material that they're doing. That's, that's a, a, a you know, stellar example of that. Yeah, Absolutely. That's it. It makes it fun. You know, it's fun to listen to people that you think are having fun doing what they're doing. Mm hmm. You know, if, if it seems like a chore to them, it's going to be a chore to listen to them. And it's fun to listen to them. Absolutely. And right now they're doing the Silver Age. Yeah, that, that was a that's a pretty cool concept. They were doing uh, they just the, the most recent one. They compared a Silver Age Green Lantern to a Silver Age Thor. And they went through the issue and then they had to basically come to a verdict as to which was better. And uh, Scott, you'll be—I I already know which way where your vote would go. Theirs went the same way. <laughs> you want me to take this next one? Uh, yeah. sure. Yeah, this one looks like fun. This was in, in, entitled "Bins, Not Spam," and this one is from Professor Allen, host of the Quarter Bin podcast and co-host of the Short Box Showcase. And he writes in. He says, "Bin boys." <laughs> which uh, is very similar to what Dr. Doom called us, I think. He says, I am a big fan of this show. Bins was one of the early comic book podcasts that I found and have liked it in all its various forms, or excuse me, all its various formats and host combinations. I appreciate the fact you guys keep the show coming on a consistent basis, even when one or two of the hosts can't make it. Okay, okay, we're going to interrupt it right there. When one or two of the shows can't make it, we guys don't keep it coming. <laughs> I do. Uh, <laughs> create a monster. Right, go on. The monster. Go on. Create a monster. <laughs> Where's the drop call button? 
<sighs> Keep reading there, my minion. <laughs> you're not going to be able to fit out of the door of that room you're in when, it, when the you show's know, over, dude. You know, we need that 16-ton Monty Python weight to just fall on. <laughs> Bong! This is the convention episodes, the episodes without Scott, the episodes about feline health. <laughs> They're all fun to listen to. I personally like keeping uh, independence in the mix as I am a fan of John Sable, Maze Agency, Somerset Homes, Baker Street, others from Techno Comics and Malibu. But it is much more important that you guys are into the comics that you talk about. Uh, and like I said, the strength of bins is that it can handle format changes. So whatever you do, I'll be here listening. Keep up the good work. And again, that's from Professor Allen. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And Professor Allen's shows are excellent as well. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I look forward to those popping up. I, I like his his quarter bin podcast. I, I like when he's working with Emily and, and very intelligent discussions they have. Uh, really good show. Well, good shows. We have any more? Yeah, I think we do. It's another one from Russell Bragg, so I think it's time for you to read one, Bill. Alrighty. (laughs) You are the official Russell Bragg reader. I'm the Russell Bragg reader. And I think everybody's done printing, so here we go. Uh, Subject, back to the bins, number 130. Gotta love the front picture. Yes, that would be the front picture of J. David Weider carrying me. (laughs) (laughs) Because he had nowhere to go. Because he had nowhere else to go. Hey guys, great show as always. I had to stifle, <clears throat> I had to stifle laughs a couple of dozen times. It's all good. It's always nice to hear J. David Weeder. I might have missed it, but he forgot to mention he's on Starman Observatory. Yes, I don't think he did mention that. Oh, he did. Uh, um, about Golden Age Starman and Superman in the Bronze Age. If I missed it, I apologize. I might have dozed off when Doctor Bill was talking about the Star Blazers. Just kidding. Mm. <laughs> The preamble was great. I don't know if you had a longer one, but every minute was great. Dr. Bill, did you mention how Thor became a toad? No, I didn't, so I apologize. Because um, we did... Uh, that would have been a long... Just made the show longer, and that was a pretty long one as it was. It was about uh, two hours. Yeah. If you did, it got by me. I, I know I can look, look it up myself, but I was wondering if you could explain. Well... Basically, Loki turned him into a frog by... uh, He had a woman drink a potion that uh, had her... Oh, man. Either she came up and kissed him and he turned into the frog. I think she kissed him and he turned into the frog. And then there was about that three or four issue run where he was the frog. So... um, Paul, I did get the Racer X reference. I've always loved Speed Racer, the cartoon... Haven't seen the movie and probably never will. Did you guys see the movie? I did. I've seen it once. It, it wasn't... I didn't think it was bad. I didn't care for it. It wasn't my cup of tea. But it wasn't that it was terrible. I just didn't... You know, it just wasn't for me. Mm. How about you, Scott? No? Hello? That Speed Racer? Yeah. The no, movie. I didn't. I... I, I saw when it came out, but uh, no, I didn't watch it. I, I've actually never seen the show, so I had no frame of reference for it whatsoever. So oh, no, I, okay. I didn't see it. Okay. Probably <laughs> uh, But I didn't realize that Aquaman didn't know who Ocean Master was. I knew next to nothing about Aquaman in the comics. All my Aqua knowledge comes from the Super <laughs> Friends or his own cartoon from the 60s. 
Giddy up, Storm. Follow me, Minnow. And Phil Tusky's Water Bowl. Ha ha. That must be... Oh, that's from the... That from the show? The, I, I'm pretty sure Follow Me Minnow was from Follow the... Me, uh, from the... the, the uh, what you call it? The, the series with the individual 10-minute episodes. Oh, okay. Yeah, the um, stuff that came before. Filmation. Yeah, I couldn't remember it there. I think that's from the Filmation episodes, mm-hmm. not from uh, Super Friends. Gotcha. Uh, Jay David, I hadn't even watched the Terminator movie until I met my wife. Is there like a hidden meeting there? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then he went over and said, come with me if you want to live. <laughs> come with me if you want to have sex. <laughs> Whoops. So anyway, so why would I know there was a comic book about it? It's funny. I don't really care for Arnold movies, but I love your impressions. <laughs> Bite your tongue. <laughs> as for Arnold's roles, that could have been or shouldn't have been. How about Arnold as Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid? <laughs> Better wrap it up for this week. Thanks for keeping me entertained at work. As always, I remain your humble listener, Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia. Wax on! Wax off! <laughs> Don't know. Never fought tree. It'll probably... <clears throat> pardon me. It'll probably have come out by the time this episode comes out, I would imagine. But you guys were talking quite a little bit in that episode about um, the death of Aqua Baby. Mm-hmm. And that just happens to turn out to be one of my all-time favorite comic stories ever. And that happened in uh, Adventure Comics number 452, which, if memory serves, I think that was the last issue. Yeah, it was. It was the last issue of, um, basically, Aquaman had taken over the title at that point. And I believe it was Dave Michelini was the writer and um, Jim Aparo was the artist. And then um, after that issue, the story continued with Aquaman regaining his own title and Aquaman picked up the old numbering that it used to have. I'm trying to remember what issue that was. It was issue like, I don't know, like 57 or something like that. And it kind of continued that story on. But that's a great story that, uh, you know, it's one of the few superhero or, you know, comic character deaths that they didn't mess with later you know they didn't undo it or uh retcon it or anything you know until new 52 anyway and it was referenced from time to time because paul you had said something about you you thought it had happened in peter david's run and it it happened a long time before then but peter Mm -hmm. david did reference it a time or two because there was a really great story that came out of all really kind of it was like a good con you know good idea um one of those crossover events that just didn't really come off very well. It was one called Ghosts. Do you guys remember that one? No, oh, no. I yeah, think it was, was an, an annual. annual. Yeah. yeah, it was an annual event with DC where all of the Justice League were being haunted by ghosts. And most of them were really bad and kind of stupid. But the Aquaman one was really good because he kept seeing the ghost of his dead son. And I don't want to spoil anything with it, but the end of that story just, I mean, as a father, it just tore my heart out. I was like, it was a really like hard to read ending to that story, but it was really good because it directly references back to when the character died back in Adventure Comics. So again, that's one of those back issues. I'm sure you could score it, you know, out of the 50 cent bins, but it's a really, really good book. That's all I had. All right, so I 
I guess we'll take a quick break and then we'll get to our issues. Yeah, 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 play it. Come on, play it loud. Play it loud. And now it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Illogic, foolish emotions, a constant irritant. Three, two, along in a circus, <laughs> right next to the dog-faced boy. True! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, it's a super prize package worth $9,388. Money. This isn't the biggest bag over the head punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Ow! Go I Biden. And now, together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts, Scott Gardner. He killed a police officer, for Christ's sake! Thank God, damn lucky he didn't kill all And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! Keep away from me! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Oh. Looking at me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now come on, let's go. She likes me, eh? No way. Shut up, you freak! Surely it's you. I say shut up! It's a man out! A man out! TwoTrueFreaks.com Okay, and we're back. And I think it's time to... We start actually making this our Christmas episode because we talked about making it Christmas and we've been talking and talking and talking and there's no Christmas. How are we making this Christmas, Dr. Bill? Uh, talking about Christmas issues. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and who's got the Marvel issue, Dr. Bill? That would be me. <laughs> so and, why don't you do your Marvel issue now? <laughs> and my merry, merry, happy Marvel full of goodness and fun issue is Uncanny X-Men 143. By Marvel Comics, cover date March 1981, on sale date December 16, 1980, cover price 50 cents, and our cover artist is Terry Austin, and this information has been brought to you by Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Please visit there and have fun. Our cover, we have a frightened Kitty Pride standing in a darkened room holding a flashlight, looking about nervously, while off to the right in the next room we see a Christmas tree with presents underneath. Just behind Kitty lurks a creature that looks like a cross between the creature from Alien and the movie Pumpkinhead. The bottom cover states, Guess what just came down the chimney? Our story opens with Storm fighting in the skies above Westchester County. She is fighting a swarm of creatures coming out of a carn below her. They are the Nagari, members of an ancient race that once ruled the earth and who mean to again. Storm tries to fight the creatures, but they are intangible to her touch. She is blasted by a bolt of energy from the Karn and is being drawn downward into it when her fear of being buried spurs her to blast apart the Karn, destroying the creatures and setting herself free. She then soars, 
home back to the mansion as Professor X assures her telepathically that the battle is won. See X-Men 96 for details. Months pass and the seasons change. The Karn and the battle fought there are forgotten by the X-Men. They believe the gateway between the dimensions is sealed. But they are wrong, as we see one lone Nagari climb out of the pile of, stone, of shattered stones and heads into the snow-covered wilderness. The woods are not empty, though. A young couple, newly married, are searching for a tree for the apartment they live in. Their first Xmas, well, excuse me, Christmas, will be a special one, and unfortunately, their last. They are startled by something in the trees, and as Doug, hmm, goes to investigate... <laughs> tree! <laughs> tree! Ella tells him to be careful. Doug's death is quick, and Ella's follows as well, as the Nagari rips their little lungs out. Then the Nagari feeds on both body and soul and searches for more victims. And now we come to the title of our story, Demon, written by Chris Claremont, penciled by John Byrne, anchor Terry Austin, letter Tom Orzkowski, Orzkowski, colorist Glennis Ween, Oliver, editor Louise Simonson, Jones, and... In the X-Men's mansion, we find Professor X drilling Kitty Pride on the X-Men's abilities and their equipment. All right, you scared me there for a second. Professor <laughs> X was drilling Kitty Pride. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, I read that sentence out loud a few times. Well, plus the following doesn't sound very good. On the X-Men's abilities and, and, and their equipment. I guess I could have worded that better. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. Good night. <laughs> All right, sorry to interrupt you. That's okay. Even on Christmas Eve, there is time to learn. However, by their expressions, both Kitty and Warren Worthington are ready to stop for the night. Man, this just sounds like a bad fan fiction. <laughs> anyway, Warren prompts the professor by reminding him that the car is ready and it is getting late. Kitty feels like she has been put through the ringer with all the studying, but Warren tells her they all had to do it and to hang in there. Wow, that whole paragraph is just bad. Soon, in the mansion's foyer, Kitty and the Professor are greeting Logan and Mariko Yoshida. Nightcrawler teleports next to Mariko with a piece of mistletoe and sneaks a kiss. This does not bode well with Logan, as he tries to attack the Jolly Elf and, slice, and slices through smoke. Colossus quickly restrains Logan as the Prof mentally scolds Logan for attacking Kurt. Logan calms down and says the old habits are hard to break, and he, he, he had hoped he would change, but so far, he is wrong and leaves with Mariko. Kitty decides to lighten up the mood and grabs the mistletoe and gives Peter a quick kiss on the cheek, saying, Merry Christmas, sexy. Peter begins to blush, and Nightcrawler says that if Kitty had had kissed him anywhere else, he may have died from shock. Pete replies that he... Where was, else would she have kissed him? <laughs> on his metallic metal. When he changed forms. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. that's where... Pete replies that he was beginning to regret rescuing him just now, but we all we know it is all in fun. Just then, Aurora comes in from bringing the car around, and they are all ready to go. Aurora has tweaked the weather to give them a clear Christmas Eve. As the car pulls away and Angel flies off for a date, Kitty realizes she is all alone. She tries to call her parents, but they aren't home, and she leaves a message. The phone rings, and she thinks it is her parents calling back, but she finds... Mr. Mopey, Scott Summers, calling in to wish everyone a Merry Christmas, and he will call back tomorrow. Scott has been on the road since the death of Jean Grey, see issue 138. Scott hopes Kitty won't be too lonely. He recalls some of his lonely Christmases growing up in the, orphan or in the orphanage. 
He then goes over to a ship called the Arcadia, looking for its for its captain, Lee Forrester. He finds her and is surprised by her as he comes aboard and they split a pot of coffee. You gotta remember, folks, Chris Claremont was big on the subplots, so there's a lot in here. And I didn't want to miss on and miss any of them. Meanwhile, in New York, Kitty has put her X-Man uniform on and spends some time working out in the danger room. She thinks about all the schoolwork, studying, and exercise. Thinking she is already in great shape, she is concerned that she will turn into a teenage female Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's straight out of the book. Didn't 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 put it in there for an auto plug, I swear. She realizes that she shouldn't joke about things because this isn't a game and X-Men have died in the past, like Jean Grey just recently. She could die as well. Suddenly, an intruder alarm sounds, indicating that someone is in Aurora's attic. Using her power, she phases up through the floors until she reaches the attic. It is very cold, and oddly, all the plants have died. They shouldn't have died that fast, and there is some strange goop covering the floor. Hearing a sound, she turns and finds... The Nagari! It swipes at her as she phases through the floor, hoping it can't follow. The floor, however, does not stand in its way as it tears through it in pursuit. With claws as sharp as wolverines, it continues to chase her from room to room. Even reinforced walls stand no chance. Kitty decides the only way to beat it is to outwit it. While out of sight, she phases down into a storage closet under a set of stairs, hoping she can lose the creature. The plan seems to work, and she heads for a phone nearby to call the X-Men, only to be attacked at the last instant by the creature. Its claws pass through her body, but still causes Kitty pain and agony, leaving her right arm numb and useless. She heads for the danger room, attempting to trap the creature long enough for her to get help. It finds her in the control room, and they both tumble out down onto the training area. Kitty leads it into a trap, enraging it. It begins to tear apart the floor, which will send the system out of control, making it even more dangerous for it and for Kitty. Barely managing to get out of the danger room, Kitty has one more plan. She boards a monocar, piloted by Scott Gardner, and heads for the underground hangar complex a mile away. Before she gets halfway, the demon derails her car, and Scott dies in the fiery crash. The end. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry, that didn't happen at all. The demon derails the car, and she has to make the rest of the rest of the journey on foot. Scott was fine and lived on, and became later worked at the front desk as a concierge at uh, <laughs> Disney Resort. And the demon walked right by him and went, "Get out of here!" She reaches the SR-71 Blackbird and begins the launch sequence, but has to wait until the last moment to catch the creature in the in- engine afterburners. She fires them, and the demon is given a vision of a new hell as the power of the twin engines burn into it. The plane, though, breaks from its moorings and shoots across the hangar, crashing. Kitty finally shuts down the engines, thinking it had to have died. She looks into the raging fire and only has time to scream as one clawed hand lunges for her. Sometime after midnight, the X-Men return to the mansion, finding it dark. Xavier senses evil about the house and recognizes it, but can't place it. Peter heads in to find... Kitty! By the fireplace, in a bathrobe and a towel on her head. She leaps at him, so happy to see him and tell him what happened. Behind Peter, we see Kitty's parents. She is even happier to see them and notices that her father has grown a beard. Don't know what the significance is that, but, you know, she noticed it. Shortly, we find everyone gathered downstairs, and Aurora asks what happened while they were gone. Kitty sheepishly tells her that she fought a big ugly monster, wrecked the danger room, the hangar, the blackbird, and a lot of the house. She asks Aurora if she's angry with her. 
but she isn't quite sure from the sound of things uh, that she actually thinks she should be proud of her and not angry with her. We returned to the hangar to see the damage and burned outline of what was in the negrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr
but it, yeah. it, I mean, it looks exactly like something Byrne would draw. So I guess that's how much they worked together at the time. And it's not even like you could say, well, that was kind of Austin style over Burns because Burns style is what it is. And, you know, when he works with other inkers, you still see his style. So I guess it was Austin aping Burns style at the time. Yeah. Well, the same thing happened on the cover of um, the further adventures of Indiana Jones number one for, you know, all my life until we started covering that book on Star Wars Monthly Monday. I always thought that that cover was Byrne and Austin, and it's not. It's only Austin on the cover of that. But again, mm. in clearly in the style that has become so associated with the two of them working together. But mm-hmm. yeah, Terry Austin would keep this same style for years to a you know to a point where even when he was inking over other artists, he made their work look burn like because that was his own style. I, I like that a lot. Yeah, me too. I've always been very fond of uh, of Terry Austin. I think he's an incredible inker. Now, What's wh- funny is I, I haven't read this story in years. I always thought that this creature was one of those things. What were the the things that looked like a cross between like alien and mosquito? It was brood. brood. The brood. Yeah, I always thought that this was a brood creature. Mm. Yeah, you you could see. This might be where we got the idea for the brood. Did this yeah. kind of creature they... ever come back again? I'm um... sure. With with so many X Men issues between then and now, I'm sure that that there's been some sort of reappearance, but I couldn't tell you when. Yeah, Somebody time. will write in and tell us. But, I've uh, never been the biggest X-Men fan in the world. You know, you were saying that you, know, you go back and look at this and, and your love for it's mostly with the art. See, that that's my thing with this era. Is I, I hate to be critical of it, but when I go back and look at this, that, that's always the reaction I have for all the issues is that I think it holds up incredibly well for the art not necessarily for the stories and maybe that's just one of those things that it's you know this happens a lot when something is oft imitated that it's it it takes away what ever made the original special in the first place and a lot of Mm. these uh burn and claremont era x-men books have been so imitated and strip mined over the years that I, I think it's kind of diluted you know watered them down a little bit to where they just don't for me anyway they don't seem to have that same impact anymore except for the artwork which you know this this is some of burns best stuff was uh, was on the x-men oh definitely but i i can appreciate your point uh and i can't tell you you're wrong because you know you you think what you think of them uh but i i do look at many of the stories and I've reread many of the stories and I think a lot of them do hold up uh, I mean you know we did uh, was it on uh, Comics Monthly Monday that we did Days of Future Past mm-hmm. and I, I think that's a great story I, I reread the Phoenix Saga not that long ago well yeah this is and, uh, this takes place right after that yes uh, yeah, very soon after it uh, and this this is uh, Burns last issue right oh, yeah. that's right the next issue Dave Cockrum came back Mm. It was a Magneto story, wasn't it? Uh, No, it's it's. I think it's. If I didn't look, but if I remember right, it's it's a Cyclops story against uh, Despair. Oh Mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there, he goes on the boat, on the boat with Lee Forrester, and is Man Thing in that too? 
I think he might be. Hmm. Giant size man thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one, one, one thing about the art. Now, I know, you know, as Byrne envisioned him, and I know over the years it's kind of changed a little bit, you know, they, they would... Uh, they, they would make fun of Wolverine and his height and everything, but on page 7 of the story, the disparity between the height of Wolverine and the height of Colossus is just a little too pronounced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he's his head, the top of his head is at, uh, Basically, at Colossus, it's Colossus' armpit. Sternum. Not even, yeah, I mean, I think it's even a little lower than his armpit. It's well, he, 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 he could be on the stairs, maybe. Maybe. Maybe he's on a stairway or something. Well, then he's really, really wide. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that I think he overdid uh, it on his perspective there a little. Yeah. I really liked the way Angel looked in this costume as drawn by Byrne. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a cool look. Uh, I mean, I, I like the fact that as he drew it, Kitty Pride looked like a teenager. Mm-hmm. She just didn't look like, you know, an adult with a, a, you know, with a small body and a big head. Which a lot of people, that's the way they draw it. That's, that's the way they portray youth. Yeah. She, you know, she looks like a 14-year-old as he draws her. Which I, 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 actually, I think she's a 13-year-old here. 13, yeah. Yeah, sure. He, you, can, you can remember how old Kitty Pride is. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> well, she looks 14, so I guess he didn't do such a good job now. Uh, and just going through it, I just remember I always got a kick out of uh, one of the ads. Uh, they used to have the, you know the ads where you could send away and send a self-addressed stamped envelope, and they'd send you the list of comics you could buy. And on page 22 of the uh, of the scan, it's uh, it's it, there was there was one where it's basically like a total ripoff of Thor. Oh holding yeah, the, holding the ad. I, I don't know what, but I always got a kick out of that. With the big B on his head. Yeah, yeah. He's he's got he's basically got Thor's helmet without the wings and a B in the in the center of it. <laughs> did you guys see the hostess ad? Yes, I did. Oh yeah. It was the uh, the Human Torch and blown about. What is, and it's a woman fighting it with a giant golden blow dryer. And she blows out his flame. Oh. Until he tempts her with hostess cupcakes. And and her hair, she's got this massive head of hair. She looks like 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 the leader. Well, but you know You know who she looks like? Did you ever see the character The Animus? Hmm. It was a Captain America villain and had like the big brain head. It's actually a woman, but it looked like a caveman the way it was drawn, but with the giant oh. brain head. No, it's not really in that third panel, I th- kind of thought she looked like uh, Lucille Ball, actually. <laughs> <laughs> From the Here's Lucy era. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny because she's not even named, because I was looking to try to find a name for her, because I used to love the names of the villains in these hostess ads, but I, I couldn't find a name for her. Hmm. So I guess she was, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not even going to speculate. Yeah, I like. There's a, a classic ad here. What page is this? It's just before page 26 of the story. The uh, the Dazzler ad. Because while I was no great fan of Dazzler, those first couple issues with uh, uh, John Romita Jr. art were actually really good. 
And that first issue always reminded me a lot of Contest of Champions because everybody who was anybody at the time in Marvel Comics was there for Dazzler's first concert, which I thought was really cool. Because I remember, you know, there's that great scene where uh, the Enchantress comes and starts menacing Dazzler. So all of the superheroes that are there at the concert in attendance, but they're in their civvies, they all go to the men's room at the same time to change into their costumes. You have like Spider-Man trying to get into a stall to change, but somebody else is in there already changing. And so I love that. I thought that was great stuff. Love that mm. ad. Well, that was the conversation killer. <laughs> and what is the conversation killer known as? Uh, Remember what J. David Weider named it? The Dr. Bill? From oh, the, the Dr. Bill moment. <laughs> the Dr. Bill moment. Dr. Bill moment. <laughs> and since we've had our Dr. Bill moment, I guess it's time to move on to our second book, unless anybody's got anything else on this one. That works for me. Scott, you have our uh, DC... Uh... I got the second book? All right. Okay, so this time around, we're going to be looking at Superman. This is the first series of Superman, number 369. This is the March 1982 cover-dated issue. It was actually on sale December 10th, 1981, the good old days. Uh, Cover price on this was 60 cents. Cover is by Rich Buckler and uh, Frank Giacoya. And I really like the cover on this one. As a matter of fact, I own this one strictly because I love the cover. I remember I have very vivid memories of picking up this issue. I know exactly where I got it and when. It was uh, as it was at a Phase Drugs in Watertown, New York, when I was just a wee lad. And uh, I just like it because you know the cover on it has really cool cover script on it. it. Says the Man of Steel in a Yule duel with the Parasite. <laughs> And you see the parasite coming in, and the parasite actually looks uh, much cooler, much more muscular and stuff than uh, I remember him from other appearances. And he's coming in and he's smacking Superman just like right in the face, just like pile driver right in the face, knocking him into a Christmas tree, his giant Christmas tree, and ornaments are going flying and everything. And all the people of Metropolis are all watching this fight from the ground, like, oh man, look at that. It's really cool. There's like a big skating rink in the background, and everything. it's very cool. Uh, the writer on this one is Carrie Bates. Again, the penciler on the interiors is Rich Buckler. The interior inker is different. It was Frank Giacoya on the cover for the inks, but the interior inks are actually uh, Frank McLaughlin. Uh, letterer was Ben Oda. Colorist is Adrian Roy. Editor is Julie Schwartz. And the story is entitled Superman's Last Christmas. So it's Christmas in Metropolis, 1981, and WGBS newswoman Lana Lang and asshole sportscaster Steve Lombard are broadcasting live from Galaxy Plaza as they await the arrival of Superman and the giant uh, annual Christmas tree. Nearby, Daily Planet staffers Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen uh, are thanking their lucky, uh, you know, they're thanking their lucky stars that they're still, you know, in the newspaper business as opposed to uh, being broadcasters, and that they're not having to stall on live television. And they're wondering, you know, what could be holding up their hometown hero. Turns out, the Man of Steel isn't feeling particularly merry at the moment. As we catch up with the Man of Tomorrow, he's 
internally grousing to himself about having to forgot, you know, ha- having forgotten to beg off this annual Christmas tree thing. And, uh, you know, just basically what a massive pain in the super nuts the holidays are. So just then he spots a house complete with damsel in distress and wailing baby inside. And it's being swallowed up by this enormous sinkhole. So what follows is actually some uh, spectacular super feats, beautifully rendered by uh, Rich Buckler, of Superman saving the home and then basically using dental filling, you know, tooth filling techniques to plug this sinkhole in the ground. It's actually really cool. And then it's back to giant Christmas tree duty for Superman. Elsewhere in Metropolis, this man named Corey Renwald is assaulted by a Salvation Army Santa Claus, but he manages to kip kick the crap out of this bell ringer something of a personal fantasy of mine I'll admit and drops him down into a manhole uh, into the sewer Superman finally arrives in the city with a Christmas tree much to Lana and Steve's release and he plunks the tree down trims it real quick and then speeds off to I don't know save a busload of nuns from going off a cliff or something but all the, the ungrateful people of you know the the Christmas tree ceremony, all they can think of is, gee, I wonder why he flew off before he turned on the lights. I'm thinking, does Superman not have more important things to do, to, you know, in your opinion? I mean, you know, he's he's the world protector at this point, and you've got the poor guy running around getting you Christmas trees. So anyway, we cut back to uh, Renwald, and he turns out that, it, it turns out he's a secret agent. And he receives his next assignment, which is to observe and report on local TV personality uh, or a local TV personality suspected of acts of treason against the United States. Who is this person? Well, of course, it's Clark Kent. So we then shift scenes to Superman's Arctic getaway, the Fortress of Solitude. And back during this era, the pre-crisis era, I loved Superman's Fortress of Solitude. So he's in the fortress and our hero is uh, having a little me time. He's just enjoying himself and he's relaxing and he's in these uh, these floaty rays. He's suspended in the air. I don't know if he's under his own power or under the power of this machine, but these floaty rays are coming at him and it's called the hollow beamer and it's this relaxation thingy that was given to him by some grateful alien race or other and uh, he's thinking about the good old Christmases of yesteryear while somewhere on the planet while he's relaxing you know thousands are dying in a tidal wave or an earthquake or something but anyway he just needs a little a little personal Superman time (laughs) so it's in this reflection that we learn the the true nature of the problem and why Superman's kind of down in the dumps that, you know, for all his great power and all of his incredible gifts and everything, Superman's just lonely. And this kind of, I remember as a kid that this part of the story just made me feel really bad for him that, you know, this was a time when he was pretty much alone. He, he misses his foster parents who is, you know, of course, good old Ma and Pa Kent who you'll remember, you know, during this time, they were long dead. This was pre-crisis continuity, and Superman in his adult life, uh, they had died. So he didn't really have anybody. And so he's thinking about all this, and he's thinking about his foster parents and Smallville and all that. And he's kind of pulled out of his reminiscences by the, uh, he's got this uncanny feeling of being watched. And he opens his eyes just in time to be set upon 
by the power-sucking parasite. And again, this is where Buckler really shines. Is you know, there's the the battle sequence is short, but it's spectacular. There's a fight between uh, Parasite and Superman, and Superman manages manages to shake off the attack, and then he uses the last little bit of his waning super strength, and he just throws the Parasite right through the wall of the Fortress of Solitude and out into the frozen waste, and the Parasite. You know, he's absorbed Superman's powers, of course, but he also absorbs Superman's mental state. And so he gleans a whole bunch of knowledge about Superman, including, you know, the way he's feeling and everything. And so he sets about using uh, Superman's holiday funk against him for this ultimate game of, uh, of revenge. And so the next day, Clark Kent is out Christmas shopping with Lois Lane when his super hearing detects the sound of a rifle bolt being primed. Somebody's about to get shot. And so Superman, you know, Clark Kent, he's looking all around and he's scanning the whole area with his supervision. And it ultimately it reveals that the intended target is Clark Kent himself. So he's about to do something with his heat vision to save his secret identity when he sees the would-be assassin get kicked in the face. <laughs> and it turns out that the uh, the guy that saved him is actually uh, Agent Renwald again. And uh, Clark remembers this guy from an earlier adventure uh, in Smallville as a boy. And there's actually a reference here. You know, Bill was talking about uh, other issue references. There's a reference to an issue of Superboy where uh, they had an adventure together. So after turning the gunman over to the cops, Renwald is ordered to check out Clark Kent's apartment. So he disguises himself as a repairman. He breaks into Clark's pad, but he unwittingly sets off a hypersonic burglar alarm that only Superman can hear. So Clark Kent, he's at the Daily Planet by this point. He dashes to his customary spot to change into Superman, but he finds that he's far from alone inside that broom closet when the parasite attacks him again. Now, <laughs> how long did the parasite have to hang out in the broom closet waiting for Superman to come in to change? You know, he could have been in there days. Who knows? But I just, I get a kick out of this. You're not supposed to think about that sort of thing. So Superman, you know, he's in mid-change when he gets attacked. So he gets knocked through the wall and they're fighting in the sky. So he's more focused on burning off the remainder of his civilian disguise with his heat vision than he is in fighting the parasite at first. So uh, unfortunately, this allows the parasite to get a big old dose of super energy from Superman. He drains him a lot longer than, than he normally would before Superman shakes him off. So Superman, he's drained and he's exhausted. And he basically just crashes to Earth right in the galaxy plaza and he uh takes out the brand new christmas tree that he just brought in just totally destroys it so next we get a bunch of talky talky talk exposition from the parasite and he's bragging about how smart he is and that he was the one that attacked renwald disguised as santa and that he's the one that sicked renwald on clark kent and that he's the one that did this and did that so everything turns out to be this big plot by the parasite so the thought that the parasite uh, ab absorbed the knowledge of how to utilize Renwald's status as a secret agent from this brief little tussle that they had earlier in the issue is actually pretty cool. But the story doesn't really answer the question of, was this premeditated? Like, did he seek out Renwald for this specific purpose? Or was it just dumb luck that he attacked Renwald 
and when he drained a little bit of his power, realized, hey, this guy's a secret agent that I can use against Superman. It, it never makes that clear one way or the other. So anyway, Superman, he eventually recovers, and as soon as he recovers, he heads straight to his apartment, where he discovers that uh, Renwald had been into his secret stash of alien trophies, and he reaches the logical conclusion that now this spy must know that Clark Kent and Superman are one and the same, and what is he going to do about it? So later, he puts in a brief appearance as Clark Kent at the Galaxy uh, uh, Communications Christmas party, and then he goes off to find the parasite. And he does find him posing as Renwald's spy contact, just in time to prevent the secret agent from spilling what he knows of Kent's apartment to the parasite. So the parasite tries to make another snack out of Superman, but suddenly he experiences supermenstrual cramps. And it turns out that our hero has outsmarted him because Superman doused himself with a low-grade, basically like a kryptonite aerosol spray, like, like kryptonite deodorant, essentially. And you know, it wasn't enough to hurt Superman or to weaken his powers, but it was enough to foil the parasite's ability to absorb more energy from him and it basically renders him powerless. How the hell that works, I don't know, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> So later, back in his apartment, Clark Kent is visited by Agent Renwald. Now, it turns out that this Renwald guy, he knew ever since that he was told that Clark Kent was a traitor that he was being set up. He figured it out right from the get-go. Once, long ago, and before they had adopted little Clark, the Kents had actually taken in a teenage delinquent for just a few months, and they managed to turn around the, the life of this troubled this troubled boy and this of course was Corey Renwald who grew up to be a secret agent for the government and the memories of that time and particularly that one Christmas with the Kents has remained something you know very cherished and very sacred to Renwald and so he knew that no son that had been raised by this kindly couple could possibly be guilty of treason and the story ends with Clark and Corey basically proclaiming themselves practically brothers, uh, sharing happy memories of Christmas with the Kents. And uh, that's pretty much my issue. What did you guys think? I had never read this one before, and uh, I was glad you picked it. I liked it. It was, I mean, the story is dense. There's a lot going on in this issue. Yeah, there uh, but but it's good. You don't, you know. There, I mean, there was some scenes with with a lot of exposition in them, but didn't really feel like a lot of wasted time. Uh, there, there always seemed to be stuff go, actually going on as opposed to just people talking away. Uh, I like I, I love Rich Buckler. I, I, I always have, always will. Uh, he draws a creepy parasite. <laughs> just just the way you know, like his face, yeah. especially that first one where it's where he's got the yellow spotlights, kind of crossing his face he just looks really creepy there's only one panel where i don't like the way he looks and it's on page uh 21 in the bottom right corner he just looks like a purple lex luther yeah but See, that's th- actually one of the reasons i think i liked because i i could be wrong i was trying to remember the timeline of events and the timeline of like my seriously getting into collecting Superman, but I, I know it was right around this time. And uh, this may very well have been my first exposure to the parasite. 
it was definitely one of my earliest because I was especially, I've always had a fondness for this issue because for one, the art's spectacular. But also I was, I remember always being particularly impressed by the fact that Superman had an enemy that knew his secret identity. I thought that was cool because the parasite didn't do what you would think that he would immediately do, which was expose him. He actually used that knowledge as a weapon against Superman to just come and power off of him occasionally. And I think that's really cool. I, I like that a lot in this. Mm-hmm. So does, and I'm not, does, does he ever lose um, that knowledge? I think it comes and goes, if I remember mm-hmm. right. Because there's a reference in here at some point about the fact that he had just recently regained this knowledge. Mm-hmm. So I think what it was is that he would gain it when he absorbed powers because back at this time not only did he absorb the powers and absorb the energy of whoever he touched but he he was able to gain like their mental like a snapshot of their mental state at that time and so what i think it was is as his energy would wane like if he didn't feed often enough he would slowly lose whatever the information was i think he would forget (laughs) that superman was clark kent he but then the him. next time he'd power up, he'd remember again or something like that. He couldn't write himself a note. Note to self. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Clark Kent Superman. <laughs> note to self. Yeah, he leaves it on the refrigerator. Who's Clark Kent? Oh, who am I? <laughs> Morgan Edge still has a cigarette holder. <laughs> that means he's evil. Evil. Page 14. I got to love that. You know, that's a pretty inconspicuous uh, ski mask. Nobody'd ever see you in that. <laughs> it was with the pom pom on top. Yeah, with the pom pom, with the white pom pom. <laughs> What's no, funny no, is you look is... at that picture of Clark Kent right there. You're, you're talking about that panel where the where the gunman gets kicked in the face. Yeah. Now that that panel of Clark just before that, where he's going, the target is me. Mm-hmm. That's very much a Kurt Swan, Clark Kent right there. And this is, you know, of course, it's drawn by Rich Buckler. So I'm wondering if maybe some of the problems I've had all these years with this particular era of Swan Superman. And, you know, I I, I have been very critical of it, I will admit. But I feel like at the same rate, I, I've taken a lot of heat for being so critical of it. Like, like I'm some sort of Swan hater. And I'm not. I have great respect for Kurt Swan. But I just don't really enjoy this particular era. And now I'm wondering if maybe maybe my beef is actually with McLaughlin's inks more than it is with with uh, Swan's pencils. Because well, I really don't care for the ink job in this very much. There's, I mean, uh, Rich Buckler is absolutely one of my favorite artists, but there's an awful lot of this where it, it looks like maybe his pencils are being overpowered by McLaughlin. Like maybe McLaughlin was, was trying to keep a unified style. And so he was kind of, um, I don't know what the term would be, but like he was trying to keep the same look that he had when he was inking Swan, you know what I mean? So almost like dumbing down Buckler's own style to suit what he'd already been doing on the book under Swan. Does that make sense? It does, but I think uh, a little bit further explanation is uh, called for because Rich Buckler, actually he's gotten a lot of criticism for it, and I I consider it a strength, but people criticize him for it. 
he had a tr- or has because he's still uh, still around has a tremendous ability to ape other people's styles when he right. when he wants to and he actually right. got a lot of criticism uh, when he was on the FF for, you know doing kind of a faux Kirby a little bit uh, right. and 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 other series you know where, where he was kind of aping Neil Adams and and John Romita on different things and I looked at that as a strength that he can be you know he's very adaptable and can kind of adapt his work to the to the job at hand and I, I see it as a strength not a weakness and I see I don't see it as something to criticize at all uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if he even made an effort since Kurt Swan was the Superman artist of this era to do this you know to adapt his style somewhat to that right and to, and to make this look a little bit more Kurt Swanish. Uh, I think the layouts you could see, it's not Kurt Swan, but some of the facial uh, expressions, I agree with you. Yeah. But I, I love the, I mean, where where Buckler really shines for me as a, a Superman artist, I, I, you know, I sincerely wish that he had done more Superman. I mean, I, I really, I cherish the stuff that he did do like uh, DC Comics presents annual number one is some of my favorite Superman stuff because he really knocked it out of the park with that. But you look at like page 11 here, that battle with the parasite in the fortress is just spectacular. He really gets the sense of like uh, Adams, Neil Adams would draw Superman very much the same way, a little leaner a little meaner than like Swan because Swan still had very much that what I always call like the barrel chested Superman because Swan's Superman to me is not that far removed from Wayne boring Superman who would to me is like super dad, you know, like he's, you know, like he's in his like mid mid to late forties, you know, and not fat, but just big guy, you know, beefy, he's barrel chested and all. Whereas, that's what I liked about some of these other artists, particularly like Buckler and Neil Adams, is that their Superman's a little bit harder harder to define as far as his age because he is leaner. He's definitely younger, and I like that that he's he's a you know he's a much more um, I don't know what the word like almost like athletic. Yeah, Superman. it's so almost as drawn by Wayne Boring. He's forty five years old. Right. As drawn by uh, by Kurt Kurt Swan, more like a 40-year-old, and by Neil Adams and most other people, he's about a 35-year-old. Right. Uh, that's one of the things I don't like about the current Superman thing, Superman issues in the uh, New 52, is he's Superman as a 22-year-old. Right. And I don't like that at all. I, Which I just to don't. me is Superboy. Yes, exactly. Mm. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Well, I agree with you. Well, you can see the physicality there on page 11. The center one where he actually throws the parasite that yeah. he's got you know he's his whole body is in that mechanics of throwing you mm-hmm. know you, you can see it, it just wasn't like one arm and he just chucked him his whole body is in that you know because at this point he's 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 weakened so he has to exert himself for it it's it's it's, it's really good i think yeah, it's kind of cool that. that he that he he basically molded the parasite into a ball and threw him, and he <laughs> stayed in that ball position, actually into the wall, and then through the wall. He's still in the fetal position as he went through it. <laughs> Love that. Un- until he landed somewhere in the uh, in in the glacier. Mm-hmm. 
And I guess now he's I screaming guess. as he's going through because there's the I as he's flying through the air. Wee! It's a Superman. Throw rock. me again. Throw me again. <laughs> it was fun. This, I, one, I, this one really stood out to me as a kid, I think, because, you know, for one, the art, but it's just, it's it's more dynamic in the fight scenes and in the in the action scenes than anything else that was really coming out with Superman around this same time. And for that reason alone, this issue just always really uh, stuck out to me for that, you know, just for the art and, and the dynamics. And uh, But also, I think the story is really good, too, because this is really where it's... It, I think it really struck me for the first time that, uh, yeah, you know, Superman, he's lonely, you know, that he does have all these fantastic superpowers. He's got this cool fortress and all the trappings of Superman. But at this particular time, at the end of the day, he's got nobody to go home to. He's got nobody to hang out with. And here it is, the holidays. And he's doing all this other stuff for other people, you know, with the tree and saving lives and everything. But then when he goes home, it's like, you know, he can't enjoy the thing that he's, he's you know, the joy that he's bringing to other people himself. And that's just kind of sad, you know? It's, it's, I think, I I think that, it also kind of goes to the thought, like, I, I've heard the question, you know, why would Superman even bother being in the Justice League? You know, he could just do it, do all this stuff on his own. But, you know, maybe he's seeking out the company of other superpowered beings because he doesn't want to just be alone all the time. Right. You know, it, it, I, 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 yeah, I mean, this, this issue has some depth to it. it. There's some character moments, which I like. Definitely. Definitely. Well, the only other thing I got on this is that the, uh, on page 23, the woman that uh, Lois introduces Clark to at the party, she says, uh, she says, Clark can't say hello to my good friend, the NBC newscaster from New York. And then you turn the page and she says, Carol, uh, Carol Jenkins. And then Jenkins and uh, Clark shake hands and there's a little exchange of pleasantries and everything. This is a real person. I was going to say, I thought I was, that name sounds familiar. Yeah, I was reading about her somewhere on the, on the net for some comics related article or something that referenced. And I forgot that it took place in this particular issue. But uh, yeah, I was just reading about that not long ago. And... I guess she just always wanted to be in a comic or something or wanted, you know, she was a big Superman fan or something to that effect. Hmm. So somebody at DC actually wrote her into the issue, which I thought was really cool. I wish they'd do that for me. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, and the, uh, you know, clearly the place where this tree is and everything is Rockefeller Center. Yeah. Yeah. Just in case that, in case that was too subtle for anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Right. What? What do you mean? I don't. What? You mean it's not no, Metropolis? It's Metropolis, man. <laughs> the big apricot. All right. So I guess uh, unless anybody's got anything else, I'll move on to my issue. Well, well just one, one last thing. I guess they really built houses solid back then. I mean, the whole house falls in a hole. Does it fall apart? Not like in Florida, man. We have a sinkhole. I was trying to find where they were saying this was. I never did see that referenced anywhere here. I wanted to know where this was supposed to be happening because I wondered if it was supposed to be Florida. Now, it's very, very possible this is the first time I ever heard of a sinkhole, too. I'm really not sure about that. Hmm. But yeah, you're right. The sinkhole opens up and the house, it's like a Monopoly house. It just tumbles <laughs> right in. It stays in one piece. Superman's able to 
pick yeah. it up and move it and it doesn't well, just crumble or anything. Well, he says, thank Rao, giant sinkholes like this are uniformly rare. No, not in Florida. <laughs> what does uniformly rare mean anyway? <laughs> um, rare even- all around? <laughs> it's, it's, it's commonly rare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's consistently rare. What? <laughs> all right. <laughs> and that's about sinkholes. It's pretty neat how he how he comes up with the idea how to fix it though. He drills down into it. He says like a dentist filling a cavity. He drills down into it, down to the magma layer. The magma comes up under pressure, and when it comes bubbling up, he uses his super breath to cool it all off and fill it in like a filling in a in a tooth. That that's actually pretty neat. No, no, that was you, you, you got to say that right. You got to say magma. That's exactly what I was doing in my mind. <laughs> You gotta say it like Dr. Evil. And another Dr. Bill moment. Next book. <laughs> Alright, well, just by chance, even though we our only uh, our only thing for this was that we were each picking a Christmas issue, but Bill, you had a Marvel, and Scott, you had a DC, and my issue is published by Marvel, but it's effectively an indie because it doesn't have any uh, superheroes in it. Uh, my issue is from February of 1983. Whoa, whoa, it's bizarre whoa, whoa, adventures. Whoa, whoa, You don't consider Howard the Duck a superhero? Well, I'm only doing the first story, which is not a superhero story. Okay, all right. Sorry. I'm not doing. I'm not doing all uh, six stories that are in this book. Ah, we <laughs> got all night. This episode will go on for quite a while. No, I'm. I'm sorry. I hope you get. I hope you guys didn't read through for the sake of prepping on the other stories because I'm just doing the first one. <laughs> But the uh, series was, uh, or the issue was from February of 1983. It had a $2 cover price, and it says, A Marvel Weirdness, Bizarre Adventures. Not for kiddies, we mean it. Special Hate the Holidays issue. And it's uh, the cover is uh, basically a skeleton in a Santa Claus costume. I assume emerging from the chimney, but he could be going down to it, and it looks like there's a fire on in the fireplace. Uh, the first story in the issue... As I said, there are six different stories. It's called The Son of Santa. It's written by Mark Grunewald and penciled by Alan Cooperberg, colored by Bob Caracella, and lettered by Rick Parker, and edited by Denny O'Neill. The story opens with a shot of a man walking in Times Square in winter. Uh, They tell us that he's 18 years old, but he looks considerably older to me in the picture. And there's a short man, approximately three feet tall, with pointed ears to his right and just a little bit behind him. And the short man approaches him and claims to be a talent scout for a Japanese film company and tells our main character that he looks like star material. And the man agrees to listen to what the little man is saying in exchange for three hot dogs and a Coke. And so we quickly find ourselves on an airplane headed for Tokyo. Our hero dozes off on the flight, and when he wakes up, the little man who has identified himself as Mr. Agnastis, Ag- Agonistes, <laughs> is hijacking the plane. He hands our hero a parachute, and they jump out at the North Pole. From there, they hike to a building which has a violent gaping hole in it, although the two travelers don't appear to notice it. As they make their way in, Agnastis cries out when he sees the wreckage and we're given a view complete with elf and reindeer bodies strewn about 
As they make their way in, they come across the frozen body of Santa Claus. I should say the frozen deceased body of Santa Claus. And if I were Bill right now, I would be probably going into some version of some sort of Christmas carol song, uh, cleverly changed to reflect the scene. But I'm not Bill, so I'm sparing you all. Uh, Confronted with uh, the North Pole Massacre, the elf decides it's time for a story of Christmas cheer. He tells us about how 18 and a half years ago, uh, Santa still had it going on, and he and Mrs. Claus became parents, even though they were older than dirt. Unfortunately, Mrs. Claus croaked six months later, uh, probably due to old age. And with that, deadbeat dad Santa left the baby with the Norris family to raise as their very own. And now Nick Norris tells us that he had a very happy-go-lucky childhood where his dad beat him and his mom was a whore. Good times. Anyway, he says he ran away four years ago, and it seems that Santa's immortal enemy has finally gotten the best of him. At this point, Nick is freezing and puts on a Santa red suit, complete with the hat and everything, uh, just to stay warm. Almost immediately, the room is attacked by a demonic version of Santa's sleigh, driven by a dude in a leather jacket and a white hood that trails off behind him, and and the sled is pulled by two warthogs. The man identifies himself as the Anti-Claus, and he embodies the spirit of taking, and is the spirit that causes toys to break the day after Santa gives them to people. (laughs) So Nick hightails it out of there and is searching for a weapon. He jams a screwdriver into the Anti-Claus's chest, but it has no effect. He throws Mjolnir at him, and it just bounces off the Anti-Claus's chest. Uh, Nick makes his way to the back exit of the workshop and drops Santa's sleigh onto the Anticlose's head, but that hardly even slows him down. As he, as he ran, he found himself in a huge storage area of toys. He saw a burlap sack on the ground, which must be where Santa puts all the toys. He looks inside and couldn't believe what he saw, although they don't actually tell you what it is he sees. Anyway, he climbs up on top of a cabinet and dives down onto the anti-claws and pulls the bag over his head and effectively bags him. The uh, thought boxes tell us that the sack is a doorway to another area or dimension. And as soon as the battle is completed, our wayward elf returns. He shows Nick the, the two surviving reindeer and tells him that the legacy of Santa Claus is now his. Nick agrees to carry on with Santa's work, but decides that the North Pole is out and heads off with the two reindeer and the elf on Santa's sleigh and makes his way to set up a new toy shop in the Bahamas. That's how our story ends. Now, I read this when it was a new issue, so it would be around Christmas of 1983, so I was like 21 years old, and I thought it was really cool at the time. I really liked it, and that's why I picked this as the one to do, and I'm reading it now, and I'm thinking, why did I like this so much? Because I'm not really sure. The artwork is pretty good. The story is kind of goofy. Because you were young and you saw yourself as the son of Santa. I guess so. I guess I, I had these visions of being the son of Santa and driving a screwdriver into the chest of the anti-claws. But, uh, you know, I, like I said, at the time I thought it was much cooler than I do now. Uh, and I'm very curious to see what you two think of it. Uh, who is the little elf dude? Agnostic? Agnostic? Is that what it's supposed to be? Uh, Maybe. I wondered about that. I mean, that's the closest word I can come up to, come up with for it. So maybe there's some sort of meaning in there. And I do like the artwork in it. 
the Antichloist looks kind of like a combination of uh, what's the, what's the guy's name? Master Pandemonium. Yeah, and, and he looks like him and the uh, evil space turnip that Howard the Duck fought. But he reminded me of. Um, I'm trying to think of there's a DC, the icicle. He kind of reminded me of the icicle. Oh yeah, yeah. From DC, just a little bit. But yeah, he does have a cool look about him. I want a warthog-driven sleigh. <laughs> you can't beat that. <laughs> well, I'm, like I said, I'm curious what you guys think of the story overall. I think it's interesting. I, I'm not sure what to make of the art. It's it's not that it's bad. I but I think with uh, with a little bit better art, or maybe refined just a little bit more, this could have been a lot of fun. I could actually see this being a book like being a regular series or something you know the the adventures of a younger santa claus you know the son of santa out you know doing super heroic kind of things as as goofy as that sounds yeah i mean i i think i could see what you would have seen in this at the time i've never seen this before but i think i would have enjoyed this back in 83 i would have got a kick out of it because on a certain level it reminds me of um oh what was the name of that the clown um obnoxio the clown versus the x-men did you ever read that Mm -hmm. i think that came out probably right around the same time as well and i always have fond memories of that i haven't read it in years i'd probably read it and think oh this is really goofy now you know but back then i loved it i i think i would get a kick out of something like this just as much one of the things i did like is grunewald hit on uh something i think that you know any any adult is going to think reading this thing is as the uh the elf is approaching him in Times Square in the uh, the box. It says, "If this jerk thinks I'm just, ha- if this excuse me, if this jerk thinks just because I'm hanging out on 42nd Street, I'm doing a midnight cowboy routine, I'll throttle him." <laughs> <laughs> so I think that kind of you know that kind of answers that question for any, anybody who's going to uh, uh, you know have evil thoughts about what's going on with this guy. Now, did you know it was Times Square because it's on Eighth Avenue and 42nd Street? Because, I mean, that's the two streets that are referenced. Mm-hmm. I just know it from the look. Ah, because this was uh, the look in the 80s, like with the yes. with the theaters. And... and and you see on the first page, there's kind of like the prostitute walking behind the elf. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's... that's I thought that, that was Misty Knight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, maybe Misty Knight was a, uh, a prostitute at that time. Did you see the guy... The bell ringer right there, his his pot says Mary Mary Krishna. Yes. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> That's funny. Big Frankfurter, eighty five cents. Man, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> Kung Fu and Monster. Then if, just just to go a little further, if if you look at right next to Mary Krishna, behind it is uh, there's a theater uh, logo, and it's it's showing boys in love. <laughs> That's uh, a little nasty. Oh yeah. Well, it has Annie up on the sign up there too, which is funnier. I think at least I think that's supposed to be Annie. Where's that's oh funny. yeah, yeah that that's definitely supposed to be Annie. And then up on the top is girls live on stage. Mm-hmm. A little better than boys in love, as far as I'm oh, concerned. Oh, is that Ed Koch there for? For governor, well, for gov, well, well, now who he, would that be? He did run for governor against oh. Mario Cuomo at one time, but I, I'm trying to remember when that was. I think that would have predated this. 
It looks like one of the Dick Tracy villains, like prune face or something. <laughs> <laughs> kind of messed up looking. The Milky elf looks like a old man. The elf yeah. looks like a Dick Tracy villain. <laughs> the elf kind of reminded me of um, who was the dude from House of Mystery there? Kane. Mm-hmm. You remember Kane and Abel from that was House of Mystery, right? Yes, pretty sure. That's who he reminded me of a bit, but yeah, I, I do like the look of uh, of the Anti Claws because he's like a cross between like Jack Frost and the Icicle, and um, who was the evil? Oh, damn, there was somebody where their bad guy, like their opposite number, had a look like that. I'm trying to remember, was it Dark Star or somebody like that had a had an outfit? Their enemy, their main enemy, had an outfit that looked similar to that as far as the color scheme and having the uh, you know the shirt that was open all the way down to the belly button. Like I can't remember. I, I know the visual I'm thinking of, but I can't think of the villain's name. No, I'm not sure. That's cool though. I, I, some of the art is actually really good in this. Now that I get to look at, it's very different for Copperberg. That's for sure. It, it's a big. it's a little rough, yeah. But it but I, I mean I like I like the layouts I like the storytelling. Uh, it, it's one of those books that you you know you wouldn't actually have to read the words to know exactly what's going on through the whole thing. What's really funny is that, strangely, it works with having Santa's outfit on this very young buff superhero-y looking physique. Somehow, somehow <laughs> Santa's outfit works as a superhero outfit. You wouldn't think that it would, but it actually looks pretty cool in some of these panels. You know, it, it looks actually super heroic, which is very funny. He does hit him in the head with Thor's hammer. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I mean, it's, com- it's complete with the, you know, I mean, it's totally, it's Mjolnir. It's, got, it's even got the, the thong to hang on to it. Yep. But overall, yeah. like I said, I, I had very fond memories of it. It didn't quite hold up to my memories. Uh, but it's still a fun story. You know, fun Christmas. Kind of a slightly more adult Christmas uh, you know, fantasy. Yeah, I think it's funny. Curse you, anti-claws. Making my toys break. And that la- the very last page, those panels of the reindeer the reindeer faces are drawn very similar to like the old Rudolph specials that they used to put out. <laughs> yes. Aren't they? Yes, definitely. I wonder if that's purposeful or not. I'm suspecting that it is. I, 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 I think that's exactly the kind of mood he was trying to go for. <laughs> did we ever see son of Santa again? I don't think we did. I think this is his only appearance, but I couldn't say oh. that as an absolute absolute certainty. That's a shame. I'm gonna need to see him pop up in you know one of those other big Marvel universe spanning events or something. You know, well, see him in just... like contest of champions or something. You know, you know what? I wonder if they labeled him in the uh, how they. Uh... For a while there, I was getting all the uh, the Ohatmu books. Uh, right. Were, 
they were coming out about two or three years ago. They were c- coming out with the paperback ones. First, they would come out with hardcover, and then they would update it. Then they would re-release it in 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 paperback for about twenty bucks. And in the back of those, they had the listing of all the alternate Earths, all the different you know Earths with their numbers. I wonder if there was one here for uh, the Son of Santa Earth. Well, according to the Marvel database, this is his only appearance. There's a list of Earth that he's on. He is on Earth eight three three six. Ah, see, yeah. I told you he'd have a, he'd have a number. It's out there. Yeah, he could come back. Are you are you listening, Bendis? <laughs> <laughs> He'll be in the Avengers if you give him they enough time. Have, they they should have had like a. They could still do it. They could do like a like a Marvel team up special. Where it's the son of Santa and the son of Satan, and they battle, battle <laughs> dyslexia or something. I think that could be a lot of fun. <laughs> I don't even know where to go now. <laughs> Take us out. I think that may be where we go out. Ho, ho, ho. Now I have a machine gun. <laughs> Is that, haven't, you heard, haven't you heard that joke before? Which Did one? you hear about the, the dyslexic serial killer? He sold his soul to Santa? <laughs> <laughs> I think Get that's where we go out. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. You're a monster, Mr. Grinch. Your heart's an empty hole. Your brain is full of spiders. You've got garlic in your soul, Mr. Grinch. I wouldn't touch you with a 39 and a half foot pole. You're a vile one, Mr. Grinch. You have termites in your smile. You have all the tender sweetness of a seasick crocodile, Mr. Grinch.
given the choice between the two of you, I'd take the seasick crocodile. You're a foul one, Mr. Grinch. You're a nasty, wasty skunk. Your heart is full of unwashed socks. Your soul is full of gunk, Mr. Grinch. The three words that best describe you are as follows, and I quote, Stink, stank, stunk. You're a rotter, Mr. Grinch. You're the king of sinful socks. Your heart's a dead tomato splotched with moldy purple spots, Mr. Grinch. Your soul is an appalling dump heap, overflowing with the most disgraceful assortment of deplorable rubbish imaginable, mangled up in tangled up knots. You nauseate me, Mr. Grinch. With a nauseous super nos, you're a crooked jerky jockey, and you drive a crooked horse, Mr. Grinch. You're a three-decker sauerkraut and toadstool sandwich with arsenic sauce.